nine o'clock. How we doing, Rocky Peak? Oh, it is good to be with you once again. If you are here for the very first time, welcome to Rocky Peak this morning. We're excited both that you're here and you get to spend the service time with us. My name is Dre. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're going to go into our time of teaching. But before we do, I want to stop and just share one thing. So many of you know, about three weeks ago, I came back to the stage for the first time after being on a medical leave for several, several months. And one thing I wanted to share is in just the two or three weeks since then, as I've been back home and around Rocky Peak, I have been stopped by many of you who have come and you've been sharing with me two key things. One, you've been sharing with me your own stories of suffering, your own seasons of hardship, and some of you similar to me, whether it's physical and medical issues, others emotional or relational or mental issues. But the second thing you've been sharing with me is that even though you've been in your own seasons of suffering, you've talked about how Jesus has been meeting you in it, how he has been comforting you, how he has been reminding you that he is good, that he is king. And that's been so, that has been so filling to my heart. And so I just want to say that to where I've heard some of your stories I'm sure in a room this side, there are many of you out there that for whatever reason are hurting right now. And I want you to know that if that's you, you're not alone. That's what this community is all about. See, I heard it beautifully put once, that church is not meant to be a museum for the perfect, but it's a home for the broken. And so we're here to learn and be restored and heal internally first, regardless of our circumstances, by the work of King Jesus in our lives. And if you are in a season of pain and suffering right now, I came across these scriptures on Friday night, and I just wanted to read them over you briefly. Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And finally, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And so it is through his word that the Lord encourages us. And so as we go into our time of teaching, we go in with expectant hearts that his word will continue to encourage us. So to prepare ourselves inside that program you got, there is a green and white message note sheet, which is a great tool to help you follow along this time of teaching. I also like to provide a lot of white space for you to be able to jot down anything the Holy Spirit has prompted you to remember or to draw a picture of things around you. And so I'm going to pray and uh, we're going to jump right in. Let's pray. Jesus, you are king. Jesus, you are almighty. And what that means is that you bring joy and laughter when we find ourselves in circumstances that cause pain and suffering. Jesus, thank you that our circumstances may not change, but that doesn't mean that you aren't good, that you are present. You don't watch us suffer from a distance. You entered into it. You live with us. We are your temple and you are there with us every step of the way. And so I pray this morning as we've gathered as your family to open up your word that we would be transformed, not by anything I say, but because of our great Jesus as revealed in scripture. And finally, as I usually do, I pray the beautiful words of John the Baptist, that may I as the communicator become much, much less this morning. And may you as King Jesus the Christ become much, much more. And it's in your name, King Jesus, that we all said, amen. So this morning, we're going to be continuing this series we've been in for the last six or seven weeks or so called Prophets, Priests, and Kings, Life Lessons from the Kingdom of Israel. Now, if you're here for the first time, what we've been doing in this series is we've been spending an extended amount of time in the Old Testament, the first half of our Bibles, but specifically in a section of the Old Testament that we have been calling the Kingdom Era. Now, this is an era that began with the first king of Israel, a man named Saul, and he first took the throne about a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. And this era lasted about four centuries, and it, was, it ended with the last king over Jerusalem, a man named Zedekiah, and he ruled over Jerusalem when it was destroyed in about 586-87 B.C., now, the heart behind this series is we aim to gain a better understanding of the story of Israel because through that, we gain a better understanding of the big 
picture story that the Bible is telling. And so throughout this series, we've been focusing in on 10 key events, or what we've been calling 10 turning points in the life and history of Israel. And through these turning points, specifically through the successes and failures of these kings and leaders, we are learning key life lessons that impact us now today and better inform what it means to be a thriving, passionate Christ follower. Now today, I'm going to be continuing a theme that I started when I was last with you about two or three weeks ago. And if you were here with us then, you might remember that I said in this series, one of the key foundations that we see is listening and following which again is the key foundation for our DNA here at Rocky Peak. And we talked about how listening and following is the difference maker between experiencing life and experiencing death and destruction. But one thing that I briefly touched on last time that I'm going to spend a lot of time digging deeper into this is that many of us, like the nation of Israel, have found ourselves in a long season, a long cycle, if you will, of disobedience have found ourselves in a long cycle of sin, of not listening and following. And the reality, it is obedience in God, again, listening and following, that can break the cycle no matter how long we've been or how deep embedded it is in us. And so we're going to see that play out today as we follow the account of a good king of the southern kingdom, a man named Josiah. And so before we open up our Bibles to look at Josiah's account, as we've often been doing in this series, we're going to be dropped in the middle of an epic and already unfolding story. And so to best understand and connect and visualize with what is going on at the time of Josiah, we first need to get a little bit of context behind us. Because as we begin Josiah's account, we've talked about this common thread throughout the kingdoms of Israel that idolatry has been a huge, huge issue. But at the time of Josiah's reign, that has taken on a much deeper meaning. And so the best way to understand context is by not only understanding where is Israel at this point, but by asking the question, how did they get here? And so we're going to see that they got there through the actions of the kings that preceded Josiah. So to understand that context better, there on your note sheet, you've got a section titled The Family Lineage. And so what I want to do is I want to briefly go through this, that the kings that preceded Josiah were also his family. Now, coming off of Thanksgiving, some of you are reminded that you may have what I would call awkward family trees. And if that's you, then you're going to relate very well with Josiah. But the heart behind this is that as the king goes, so the nation follows. Our models, who we choose to follow, have a lot of power in the direction of our lives. And so we're going to see this throughout the lineage before Josiah. So first, we're going to start with Josiah's great-grandfather, a man named King Hezekiah. And you see there in 2 Kings 18, he's described this way. Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now, Hezekiah is considered one of the rare great kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. And the reason why was not because of what he did, but because of who he was. He was not perfect. He was not a superhero, but he was someone who prioritized above anything else, listening and following to the leading of the Lord God. And what we see through that is that God can take an imperfect heart and use it to break a cycle of sin. Because when Hezekiah took the throne, it was about 715 BC, he reigned for almost 30 years, but he became king at a very difficult time in the history of Judah. Last week, you might remember that as Michael talked about the prophet Isaiah, 
He talked about that there was this growing superpower named Assyria who would become a conquering force in the northern and southern kingdom. So during Hezekiah's reign, the Assyrian Empire invaded the northern kingdom, Israel, conquered them, exiled their people through which they would not return back to their land. Now that same kingdom threatened the southern kingdom, Judah, during Hezekiah's reign. So not only was he dealing with that, but he was also coming into his kingdom in a period, in a cycle of unprecedented idolatry. And so one of the very first things we see Hezekiah do is that he cleans house, meaning he gets rid of the idolatry and his heart is to bring people back to the worship of the Lord God Yahweh. In fact, one of the very first things he does is that he cleanses God's temple. If you remember, this is where God's presence dwelled. This was supposed to be the marker of worshiping Yahweh. And it had become filled with idolatry. It had become filled with sin, with false icons. And one thing you're going to see more and more in the account this morning is that for Israel, the temple was the metaphoric heart of their nation. And so if the, na if the state of their nation was going to change, it had to begin with their heart hearts. But one of the things that I deeply respect about Hezekiah, and we're going to see this again in Josiah, is that he didn't lead out of power or force. He led out of his own transformation. As God transformed him, he then proclaimed and gave others the opportunity to be transformed by that same God. But then we move on to the next king, Hezekiah's son, and this is where things completely go off the rails. Josiah's grandfather, as you see, there was King Manasseh, and he's described this way, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And I go on to put, he did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So Manasseh reigned in Judah for about 55 years and what he did is that he led Judah back into the worship of idolatry in a major way. He reinstituted the worship of gods such as Baal and Asherah, which are false gods that we've heard many times throughout this series. One of the gods that he either brought for the first time or reinstituted, we're not fully sure, was a god who you worshipped by child sacrifice. In fact, Manasseh sacrificed one of his own sons in the worship of this God. And the temple that his father, Hezekiah, had cleaned, he had desecrated once again by bringing in idols, by bringing in false altars all throughout the temple and its complex. This is not in your note sheet, but in 2 Kings 21, it describes Manasseh this way. The people did not listen because Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Manasseh was not the sole cause of Israel of Judah's disobedience, but he is often considered the final nail in their coffin. If you were here last week, Michael talked about the two sides of God, the God of grace and the God of wrath. Manasseh is considered the final nail that brings upon the wrath of God. And then the third person, Josiah's father there, was King Amon. And Amon continued the cycle. You see there in your note sheets, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Now while Amon continued the cycle, he didn't reign long. He only reigned for two years because he was assassinated by some of his own officials. So this is what came before Josiah. This is now clarifying not only the state of the kingdom of Judah, but how we got there. Now, we are going to begin with Josiah's account. And so, if you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you've got your apps, turn them on. We're going to be starting at 2 Kings chapter 22. And as I often say, if you've got a physical Bible and a pen handy, get it ready. If you've got the ability to highlight in your apps, get that ready because we're going to mark this passage up. 
Now, I want to make a quick note before we jump in. It's the same note I mentioned last time I was with you, is that we are going to be covering a lot of Scripture this morning. In fact, we're going to be summarizing two entire chapters. And so I'm going to be moving very quickly. I'm going to be skipping around and paraphrasing. And so first thing to know, you got this. Second thing is I would highly encourage you, because again, I'm moving quickly, that sometime in the next 24 hours, sit uninterrupted with these passages. Just sit and read and see what the Lord is saying through his word. So chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. Now, that's a common introduction we see throughout Kings and Chronicles for all of the different kings. But then verse 2, and I want you to underline the entirety of verse 2, explains the most important thing we need to know about Josiah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely. That is the key phrase. Followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And so what that means is that all of the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah were descendants of David. David is often heralded as this great example of what it means to follow after God. But understand, David is this wonderful example not because he was perfect. If you look at the life of David, there were times when not only he was wrong, but he did atrocious things. But why is David this wonderful example that we're often referenced to in the Old Testament? Because his heart was often humbled and he came back to a place of repentance. He experienced not only mercy, but transformation in the Lord. And so what this is saying is that the most important thing we can know about Josiah is that he had a genuine one-on-one relationship with the Lord God, and that relationship became the foundation for his life, and it became the foundation for how he would rule his nation. Everything that he would now do would flow out of that relationship, out of that foundation of listening and following. And so we're going to skip ahead a little bit, but what happens next is much like Hezekiah, King Josiah decides that they need to purify the temple. They need to clean house and clean the heart of their nation. And so he sends one of his key officials, a secretary named Shaphan, to go and find the high priest, Hilkiah, who had been in hiding at this point, to bring them back and restore God's temple, to remove the idolatry. And so as they begin that process, what ends up happening is the high priest finds the word of God, finds what the Bible, what this account refers to as the book of the law. It's likely the book of Deuteronomy, if not more of the first five books of the Bible. And so the high priest gives it to Josiah's official. Shaphan then goes back to Josiah and he reads God's word aloud to the king. And what I want you to do is I want you to skip ahead to verse 11 and see Josiah's response to hearing God's word. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Would you underline that? He tore his robes. What we see throughout the Old Testament is that if someone were to tear their robes, it is a symbol of great sorrow. It is a symbol of great distress. He is grieved, but it is also a symbol of repentance. And so Josiah is responding to hearing God's word, likely the book of Deuteronomy because it focuses on the covenant between God and his people. And so why is King Josiah greatly distressed? Because he realizes they have broken their covenant with God. In other words, he is distressed because he realizes this is not who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to follow God. We're supposed to listen and beautifully submit to his leadership. Look at what's happened to our nation. Look at what has happened to our hearts. We are not who we're supposed to be. 
And one thing that I beautifully love about Josiah that you're going to see is that he doesn't pass this off. He doesn't rationalize this. But he tears these robes because he begins with himself and he owns his part of this. This is my issue. This is our issue. And so let's keep reading. Look at what he does next. Again, back at verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Verse 12, he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's attendant. Verse 13, go and inquire, which underline the word inquire. I'm going to come back to that. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed. Would you underline that? He clearly sees the problem. Have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. And so again, what I love about Josiah's example to us is that he sees a problem and his immediate action is not to fix it. Are any of you fixers? I'm a fixer. If I see a problem, I want to eliminate said problem. Why? Because it's likely going to rock the boat. But as a fixer, you realize that sometimes while that is a great trait, you move to fix things too fast. Fellow fixers, have you ever moved too fast to fix a problem only to create it, make it much, much worse? Have you ever moved too fast to fix a problem only to have it completely blow up in your face? And so what I love about Josiah's example is that while he sees this deep problem, his first reaction is not to fix it, but his first reaction is we need to hear more from God about what to do in this situation. And so again, as we're going to skip ahead to paraphrase, he sends some of his officials to a female prophet named Huldah. See, what I love is no matter how far off track, how deep in sin their kingdom got, the Lord continued to raise up prophets to proclaim his truth, to speak his will to his people. And so they go to Huldah and they explain what's going on and they ask, what does the Lord say? And her response is a very harsh truth that the God of wrath is going to pour out his judgment on this nation because of years and years of disobedience. Hulda uses the word disaster. In a sense, disaster is coming and nothing can stop it. But then she adds to that prophecy a specific message to Josiah. And so let's jump to verse 18. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Verse 19, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself, which you underline the word humbled, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you, were, when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all of the disaster I am going to bring to this place. So they took her answer back to the king. And so this specific message to Josiah is, Judgment is coming and nothing can stop it. But because your heart was humbled, and again, humbled does not mean you think the worst of yourself. Humble does not mean I am a horrible person, I have no worth, other people should work for God, not me. Humble is that you understand that God is king and you are not and you are prepared to listen and follow. And so she is saying that Josiah as king, again, beautiful example, knows his place. 
He understands that while he is an earthly ruler, he is not the king. And it is the king that leads us. Because of his heart, Josiah will be given the gift of not seeing the destruction of Jerusalem in his lifetime. Now, as we go into chapter 23, again, what we see is the beautiful heart of Josiah, that Josiah doesn't rest in his safety. He doesn't go, okay, well, me and God are good. I'm just going to quietly sit, twiddle my thumbs, and wait for disaster to come. What he does is he is motivated by the mercy he has received, and he now goes to his people, and he likely realizes that he can't stop the judgment that is coming, but because of God's great mercy, he wants to give them the same opportunity that he has been given to have their hearts be transformed. So regardless of what judgment comes externally, that their hearts would be in the right place. And look at how he chooses to do it. So going to chapter 23, verse 1. Then the king called together the, uh, all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all of the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. Verse 3, the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant. Would you underline that? Renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. And what does that mean? To follow the Lord and keep his commands, statues and decrees with all his heart and with all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. And so again, Josiah beautifully knows his place. And so he realizes if my people are going to be transformed, it is not going to happen through my words. It is not going to happen through my decrees. It is not going to happen through my legislation, but it's going to happen through the authority and the words of the Lord God. And so he gathers the entire nation. And what does he do? He reads scripture. He gives them the opportunity to directly hear and experience God's word in their own life. And before his nation, he pledges to be a king that listens and follows. And how did it describe it? With all his heart and all his soul, which is the sum totality of a person. Not 80%, not even 95%. Now, for those of you that are somewhat familiar with the teaching of Jesus. Does that sound familiar? All your heart and all your soul. What did Jesus say is the most important thing any of us could do in this life is follow God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what do the people do? They commit to follow his example. Now, we need to dig a little bit deeper and emotionally connect with his people here. What we often miss as we read through this account is that for many of them, this direction of following one God, this direction of only worshiping the Lord God, Yahweh, was a brand new world. This was not part of their normal rhythms. This was not something they knew instinctively how to do. And for so many of you, can't you relate that even if you're heading towards a change that can be good, isn't it at times intimidating? Because it's change. And no matter how bad the world was before it, at least you knew it. And there are some of you here that are beautifully wired and gifted to do well with change, to be all about adventure and head into the unknown without any fear or trepidation. And God bless you. <laughs> but there are many of us here, and I am one of them, who even if it's for good things, change is intimidating. I love routine. Do you know why? because I can control it. I don't even like when the weather changes. 
Yesterday, before service started, I ran into someone, and they, as they greeted me, they're like, Dre, wonderful weather we're having, and without missing a beat, no, not at all. You know why? Because it's cold. I pay a stupid amount of money to live in Southern California because I know what I'm getting into. The sun will be shining, and I never need to deviate from the three shirts I own in my closet. But in a sincere way, some of us have faced the Lord. Some of us have heard him calling us out of darkness, whether it's leaving behind addictions, leaving behind sexual sin, leaving behind anger, hatred, the ability to dehumanize enemies or another type of person, leaving behind our sense of control, And have we not found it both beautiful and exciting, but also intimidating because we don't know what does this new world look like? And so again, as we look at the example of Josiah, why does he lead through the word of God? Because God's voice does not only call us into a new world, but it will be with us every step of the way. And a beautiful truth about God is when he calls us to leave darkness and enter a brand new world, one where he is king, we quickly realize this is the world I was created to be in all along. And so as we go to verse 4, what's going to happen is Josiah is going to begin in the temple as Hezekiah did, and he is going to clean house. Then the king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests next in rank and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all of the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations and to all the starry hosts. Verse 6. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord. The quarters were women did weaving for Asherah. Now stop right there. That is a lot of stuff that he is cleaning, right? And we are only in the temple and the temple courts. And again, what is the beautiful metaphor of this is that he is beginning with the heart of the nation. And so what we see is that if the nation is going to be purified, if the nation is going to be a nation that listens and follows to the leading of God, then what needs to be removed is anything that will block its heart from hearing the word of God. And so what we see is this idolatry, this sin, this false worship had become rooted in its heart. And so before he does anything else, he realizes that we will not succeed if the roots have not been removed, the roots of darkness have not been removed from our heart. And as our heart has been re-rooted in the word of God. And that is a beautiful picture for how we experience transformation today. See, often when we think of sin, often when we think of darkness, often when we think of the cycles of disobedience, we often think of the external, our actions, what it is we're doing or not doing or taking part of it. But the real, one of the big key reasons why so many of us struggle and feel like I can't break the cycle of sin is because we are solely focused on the action and we are not focused on the root. Our actions are the overflow of the state of our hearts. The reason why I engage in these particular sins, the reason why I disobey, the reason why I don't listen and follow is because my heart is rooted in something other than the word of God. 
And so what we see through this example is that if I want the external to change, it begins with the internal. See, often we, only, we don't just not think about that, we don't realize that this is a result of what's been rooted in my heart. And so how do we clean house as Josiah did? Well, we see his beautiful example that the word of God reveals what's in our hearts. And through his word, he will lead us to begin the process in his power to cleanse our temple. Do you know that the New Testament calls you, believer, the temple of God? And so what makes this amazingly relevant to us today is we need that same process of removing the roots of darkness under the authority of God and rerooting our hearts in his work. Now we're going to skip ahead, but what happens next is after they clean the heart of their nation, Josiah then begins to clean other idolatries and other false gods and sins out of their kingdom. And so he begins to move out. And for the next 20 verses or so, it's this laundry list of gods and false idols and high places that he begins cleaning out, moving forward and forward. Again, starting with the heart and moving out and moving out. In fact, we're even told that he crosses over into what was once the northern kingdom and goes to, where, goes to altars that King Jeroboam had set into place and begins cleaning those out as well. In fact, some would say that in a sense, not politically because the north is gone, but spiritually, Josiah unifies the kingdoms once again. And then in about verse 21, 22, he continues this purification by reinstituting Passover. And we're told that it had not been celebrated in that way since before the time of the judges, before the kings. And King Hezekiah had celebrated Passover to, a, to an extent, but what's meant is that King Josiah reinstituted Passover and celebrated it the way God's word had talked about celebrating it. And why is Passover so key for the Jewish covenant? Because it is a reminder that God is king. And finally, as we end our time, I want to read verse 25. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength. Do you see that again? In accordance with all the law of Moses. Again, was Josiah a perfect man? No. Was Josiah a man that never sinned and never struggled? No. Was he somehow this spiritual superhero? No. What was the difference maker? He was a man that chose to listen and follow to the leading of the Lord God in his life. To listen and follow to the word of God itself. And that is what broke the cycle of sin and disobedience, not just in him, but in his entire nation. And so that's our passage. And so what I want to do as we move forward is I want to take some time and continue to unpack this truth, that following the voice of God is what breaks the cycles of disobedience in our individual lives. And so there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled, What Breaks the Cycle? And your fill-in is this. We experience a new beginning when God's word penetrates our hearts. We experience a new beginning when God's word penetrates our hearts. For the cycle to be broken means that we will experience a new beginning, a brand new world. But that only happens when the word of our king penetrates our hearts. It begins with the internal 
and then the external will overflow from that transformation. And so why this is key is that it really expands our vision for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. See, if you think about it, when that question is asked, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? Often, many people will quickly say something along the lines of, well, it means you gave your heart to Jesus, and then immediately move on to the external, to the things that we now do or the things we now abstain from. So to follow Jesus, we, I gave my heart to Jesus at some point, and now I, I go to church, I try to do good things, I try to, you know, avoid bad things, I try to go to life group, I try to pray, I try to do these things. And again, that's a wonderful piece of this. But when we go to Scripture and ask the same question, what does the Bible say it means to be a follower of Jesus? The Bible doesn't move over the heart piece very quickly. The Bible extensively focuses on the internal first. The Bible teaches that it is an inside-out transformation, that to follow Jesus means first and foremost that he started a work of transformation and every day he continues to transform our heart, our character to be more and more a reflection of him. And through that transformation, it overflows into our actions, our mindsets, what we see and what we do. Often we have this misconception that if I do the right things, that will then make me a good person. Transformation does not happen from the outside in. It happens from the inside out. Those of you in here that are Christ followers, think of how that journey first began for you. It began internally, didn't it? that you reached a point in your life in which you realize that Jesus is real, that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus forgives the sin that has kept us in bondage, the sin that has led us astray, the sin that has not satisfied us in the way that I do, that Jesus restores us and gives us a brand new life. In other words, our journey as Christ followers began with an internal, beautiful act of repentance in which we declared with our heart and our soul, Jesus is King. And that internal declaration was the beginning of a new world a new life in which our heart learns more and more in every area of our life how to continue to make the declaration that Jesus is king. And we learn how to continue that journey by listening and following to his leading. See, when we look at scripture as it describes what it means to be a Christ follower, it never describes us being perfect and flawless, not dealing with temptation, but it does call us to not be half-hearted in how we do this. It does call us to not be Christ followers who wear a Christian costume that we look the right part on the outside, but we can take it off at will. It does not call us to be Christ followers who follow Jesus as long as it's easy, as long as public opinion still wants it, as long as I get what I want, as long as he doesn't stick his nose in my sin. It calls us to a life of joyful, beautiful, Total submission. Again, submission is not thinking the worst of yourself, but it is beautifully realizing He is God and I am not. And that is the best place I could be. And so, with that, that now leads us to the Bible, to God's written word. And so often, not just in our world's culture, but in church culture, 
we have this severe filter and misunderstanding of what the Bible is. It's just a book, or it's nothing but rules, or it's just these stories, or it's something I don't really understand or don't get a lot out of. But again, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Is that we follow the leading of our King, which leads us to the Bible, to Scripture. What is the Bible? The Bible is the voice of the King for your life. The Bible was not written for just an exclusive group of people. The Bible was not written just for pastors or scholars or elders or the seemingly super Christians that walk on water. The Bible was written for all people, globally, every culture, every gender, every economic status, every success, every failure. If you are a living, breathing human being, the Bible is the voice of the king for you your life. I love how it's put there in your note sheet in Psalm 119. Teach me, Lord, the ways of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. In the Old Testament, when it spoke of heart it was a much bigger view than how we often understand it. We often view heart as solely being our emotions. But in the Old Testament, heart meant the control center of your body, what commanded everything about you. And so if we are going to be a people who listen and follow, then Rocky Peak, what has to happen is we need to dig deep into our heart. And so I want to make a statement that is a strong statement, but it is a true statement. And the statement is not meant to cause shame and guilt, but it is meant for the Lord to speak to the state of our heart and reveal the truth. Have you ever wondered if you are truly a person who is ready to listen and follow to the leading of King Jesus. One of the clearest indicators on if your heart is ready or not to follow the leading of Jesus is how you view, how you value, and how you prioritize the written word of God. How you view how you value and how you prioritize the written word of God is one of the clearest indicators of whether or not your heart is genuinely humbled to actually listen and follow to the leading of King Jesus. And why would I say that? Because again, what is the Bible? It is the voice of our king. See, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that Scripture, the Lord uses Scripture to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness. In other words, the Lord uses his voice, his word, to transform our lives. What transformed the kingdom of Judah what broke the cycle was the Lord, was the word of God. Josiah had had a deep, meaningful relationship with God, but when he discovered God's word, what happened? God revealed the roots of his, the roots of their sin. The reality is our hearts were designed to be rooted, but if they're not rooted in the word of God, they will be rooted in something else, and that something else is always sin. And what Whatever our hearts are rooted in, we will then overflow into our behaviors, our mindsets, our actions. See, we look at the kingdom of Israel, both the north and the south. We look at all of this idolatry, and how did that happen? It didn't happen where one day they just opened shop and brought in all of these different gods. It goes back to what Michael said when we were teaching on King Solomon. It began with one compromise which led to another, and then another, and another, and another, and another. And compromise opens the door for darkness to take root in our heart. And so how do we deal with the darkness? How do we clean the temple that is our hearts? Through the voice of our king. We cannot listen and follow if we are not 
actively listening to the voice of God himself. There have been so many times in my life in which I have been stuck in a cycle of disobedience. And I have tried so hard in my own power, in my own gifting, in my own skill to stop this. I have done the seemingly right things. I have gone to prayer. I have gotten accountability partners. I've seeked wisdom. I have people telling me the right things. But the reason why those cycles in my life hadn't broken was because I was missing the one essential element, which was the voice of God itself in my life. The voice of the Lord drives out the darkness. And when we are listening to the voice of our king, he transforms us. He changes us from the inside out so that we now become a wonderful reflection of Jesus. I like how John Piper puts it there in your note sheet. Which means, therefore, that our Bible reading is never just for seeing, never just for learning and doctrine, It's not even just for savoring, if that savoring is thought of in a private way that leaves us unchanged in our relationship with others. No, we read the Bible. We always read the Bible for the kind of seeing and savoring Christ that transforms us into his likeness. That is the power of the voice of the Lord in your life is that it will destroy these cycles of darkness and lead you to a new place. Now, I understand that sometimes a pastor standing on stage essentially saying, read your Bibles, can bring feelings of sin and shame. But understand the heart of our beautiful king is that what I like to call holy conviction is never meant to leave us in those places of shame but it is the voice of our king saying beautifully, I want to give you the opportunity to a bigger life. And so with that, what I want to do before we wrap things up is I want to give you two key questions to reflect on. And you're going to see a section there in your note sheet. Now, as I ask these questions, some of you may be, you're going to know the answer to these questions. Some of you, maybe you're going to need to spend some uninterrupted time today just sitting before the Lord with these questions. However he leads you, I just want to encourage you to just reflect and seek him on this. So your first question is this, are you seeking God's word? And so what I mean by this is one-on-one. There are many of us that we experience the word of God in group settings, and that can be a beautiful thing. You experience the word of God when you come to a weekend service. You experience it when you go to a life group. You experience it in other settings, but often we only experience it when other people are doing the heavy lifting. What I mean by that is you alone, one-on-one, are you seeking God's word? Are you pursuing it? Now, there are many of you here that honestly and joyfully would say yes, that I have a beautiful relationship with his word. I'm in it regularly, I start my day with it, or I'm involved with it throughout the day. My Bible app texts his Bible verses to me. My life group and my family and I text things back and forth. I end my day with it. If that is you, that is beautifully wonderful and keep going. But I want to encourage the group of you here that would honestly say, hey, my one-on-one pursuit of the word is infrequent at best, but it's usually non-existent. And if that's you, especially if you've been walking with Christ for any length of time, I want to ask you the question, why do you think that is? And usually... We have our reasons, right? I'm really, really busy. I have a lot going on in my life with my kids and my family and my job or school. There's so much going on, I don't even know where I would find five minutes. 
or sometimes the other reason is, you know, I, I just don't really like it. Like, I love worship, and when you guys teach, it's okay, but I love going to life group, and I love these other ways to interact with God, but you know what, when, when I read it, I don't know, I don't get a lot out of it, or I've grown up and so, with this, so I know all of these stories, or I, I really can't understand what's going on. And, and if you're in that group, again, I'm not looking to guilt or shame, but if those are your reasons, what I'm going to do is push and say that's not the root of why. Those are the external reasons. And we might even believe that to be the reason. But that's not the root. And I can't tell you what the root is that is keeping you for it, but what I will challenge you to do is would you sit before the Lord uninterrupted and would you ask him, why don't I want to be in your word? Why don't I want to read what you have to say? Why don't I like it? Why don't I feel like I understand it? And I guarantee you something, God is not gonna get mad at you. He responds to honesty and he will meet you and begin to show you something you did not expect. And so the first question is, are you seeking God's word? The second question is, oh, excuse me, first there on your note sheet, I love Psalm 119. We've been in this Psalm a lot. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. The second fill in is, are you responding to God's word? The voice of the king always demands a response. But again, we so often quickly think of the external. And especially in the New Testament, if you look at the Apostle Paul, he often warns us about sins, about the state of our actions and our behaviors. But in context, Paul is talking to people in which the assumption is being made that the Lord is transforming your heart. Therefore, as the overflow of that, we want to avoid these sins. And so for me, as I ask this question, before we get into the external, my question is, are you allowed? God to, are you allowing your heart internally to respond to God's word? Are you allowing your heart to sit before the Lord and be changed, transformed in how you view the Bible in the first place? Are you allowing God to transform your heart? Are you spending time in scripture going, what is this teaching me about who Jesus is? What is this teaching me about how I see God? Where have I filtered him? Are you allowing the word of the Lord to transform your heart of how you see yourself? of how you see your value, of how you see your worth, of how you see your purpose because of what Jesus has done. And the reason why I ask this internal response first is that when the internal is being transformed, it will then overflow, as I've been saying, and transform the external. And so are you responding to God's word? I love there as we close again in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart and so again, your voice has become what my heart is rooted in, and then what happens? That I might not sin against you. It is an internal transformation that affects, because of the overflow, the external. And so with that, as we close our time of teaching, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back out. And as we wrap up our time together, if you look at the tables around you, we are gonna take the act of communion if you're new to church, if you're new to this, what this is is this is an act for the family of believers. If you have given your life to Jesus, if you have beautifully submitted to his leadership, this is for you. Not if you're on a hot streak of Christianity. <laughs> not only because you've avoided temptation, if you are at your highest spiritually or if you are at your lowest spiritually, if you have given your life to Jesus, communion is for you. And what this act is, is an opportunity to renew our covenant, to remember that Jesus held nothing back. And for us, as we take of the juice, as we take of the bread, as we remember the cross and the blood and the body that was broken and shed, we get to say and declare, we are going to listen and follow to your leading, King Jesus. And so as I pray for us, 
The band is gonna lead and sing a song over us. You notice that there are tables around. We're a large room. Always wanna ask you to beautifully be patient with the people around you. But let this be a time in which covenant is renewed. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are the king that held nothing back from your people. And so as your sons, as your daughters, we commit to holding nothing back from you. Father, if we are here and we are not seeking your word in our heart, thank you that this day does not need to be one of shame and guilt, but this day can be the declaration of a beautiful new beginning, one in which we begin to seek the voice of the king, one in which we realize that your word is bigger and more beautiful than we ever imagined, one in which you, we realize that your word brings, uh, takes away the roots of darkness and sin. It is your word that breaks the cycles of disobedience. And so as we go into this time, we celebrate you and your beautiful voice. Thank you for leading an imperfect, rebellious people. It is in your name, King Jesus, we all said, amen. amen.